Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning, and Happy New Year. Right? Could I give you some um, parenting advice before we get started? Uh, whenever you promise something to your child, make sure there's an attorney standing by. So my, I have a daughter that goes to Baylor, and um, when they were on that winning streak, she said, uh, if we win it all, Dad, you have to wear a Baylor tie to church. And I said, honey, I don't do the whole football in church because it's just, I don't like blending those two. I don't do that. She goes, look, if we win it all, if we win it all, I'll buy you a tie and you wear it. I said, you know what, if you win it all, sure. You know what, I'll violate that rule and I will wear your Baylor tie. So after the Big 12 championship game, she said, we just won it all. I said, that's where the lawyer would have been handy. Because when I, I thought all meant all, and she meant the Big 12. And so I got, I have this tie with instructions that say, wear with pride, support the Big 12 champions. If stained, gently rub victory into the faces of those who Baylor beat. There is no class in humility up there in Waco. <laughs> so know this, the first rule in parenting teenagers, never negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> so I promise complete. Okay. Listen, this, there's a, there's, it's a new year. We're going to start brand new. We are going to start um, studying a Bible book or books, actually books together. There are five different kind of teaching styles in the Bible. If you look throughout the Bible, there's, I think the writers understood there's different types of learning, and so there's different types of teaching. And so we, we submit to that, and so we do five different types of teaching at Grace as well. If, if you like topical teaching, you must have loved the fall because we spent the whole fall teaching in that way. We're going to start in January going from for about 10 or actually closer to 12 to 13 weeks, and we're going to look at in a, a couple of epistles. And so we're going to go a little bit deeper, and we're going to look at words and sentences and paragraphs together. It's going to require us to maybe be a little more studious, but we're going to learn a lot from it. It's a different way of learning, and I'll teach in a way that reflects the way that it's written. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, you can get a head start on that. 1 Thessalonians. It's going to be towards the end of your Bible. These are epistles. That, that is a word that means letters, and there are several letters written, and they're at the end of the Bible, and they fit nicely into outlines because uh, they're written kind of with a Greek worldview in mind, and so they're not, they just kind of find themselves often, oddly enough, in three points. And, and we'll look at those together. I want to tell you some things to, so that you'll have a better grasp of how to read your Bible effectively. It's one of the values here. Uh, as Protestants, one of the things we protest is that we want to read our own Bibles, right? And so my job, because I'm just a pastor and you're a, you're a minister, right? I'm, my job is to train you how to read your Bible uh, with more accuracy. And uh, I want you to be uh, keeping that in mind while we, while we read together. You'll need to know some background information on this book. There's a lot to know, but I'm just going to give you three points that, that, are, that will help give context to the words that Paul is going to use uh, to this church in Thessalonica. One, in, one thing is that he loves this church. He loves this church of, uh, in, in this town called the Thessalonica. Sorry, yeah. And 
uh, he, he's going to look at them and he's going to write this letter to them because they are a courageous church. This is, this book, these books are almost a definition of authentic Christianity. We'll see that today. This, this uh, city church will, will define how to grow in their walk with God and, and what it means to be followers of Christ. Paul loves these people. He, he'll use the word brother, and we could use brother and sister, 12 times in this first uh, book. And then five times in the next one. So 22 times, or se- I'm sorry, 17 and, uh, or 5 and 15 and 7 times, and it's 22 times he'll use the word brothers because he's looking at them like he's just brothers. Now, it's easy for us to say that, but if you can imagine how difficult it must have been for Paul, right? I mean, he, he's, he's from a culture. He's a very rich Jewish culture, deep set in that, that's famous for being separatist, right? They, they stand apart from every culture. They just talk with each other. They just... They just uh, choose family within the context of Israel. They only let their, their children intermarry within Israel. And then, and then what? And then because they become believers in Jesus Christ, anybody that follows Christ is now family. And so he violates generations of cultural prejudice and says, you're, you're my brother, you're my sister. That's how, much, that's how much they have in common. They have nothing in common except one thing, and that's all that counts. And in this book, and especially in this book, I love this because he uses the word brothers loved by God. Brothers loved by God. We'll see that in this first chapter before we read it together. And, um, and that, that's a title that's used in the Older Testament almost exclusively for very important people. So Moses is called, you know, loved by, a brother loved by God. And Solomon in the nation of Israel has that attachment loved by God. And Paul's going to write this church of Thessalonica and say, you are brothers and sisters loved by God. So when you read these books, okay, would you read it like it's a love letter? Because he's writing us at Grace. I I think one of the reasons I chose this book is because I think he's going to look at us that same way. We are trying our best uh, and we're expressing authentic Christianity in every context that we can. He loves us. Second is that they are persecuted. This is a highly persecuted church. This is... uh, you can find the context of it in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, it's when Paul goes there and he's speaking at a lot of the synagogues and, and some people disagree with what he's talking about. It's revolutionizing, obviously. And, and so they, they call up together some mercenaries and try to track Paul down and, and they can't find him because Paul is running for his life. And they are, their intention is to do at least harm and probably kill him. And this church, now Paul leaves, but the church is left behind, and it's in, a, it's in a difficult place. So you have to, when you read the words here, we're going to hear words about endurance and long-suffering and how to live with that in mind. He loves them. They're being persecuted. And, and finally, they're living as, this is the first letter that Paul writes most probably. because It's the earliest epistle that's written. And, and the earlier they are, the more expectantly they have in their mindset that Jesus could return at any time. In other words, you know, right after Jesus' uh, re- resurrection and then ascension, people had the anticipation that Jesus would come back in the next week. Okay, the next month. Oh, he's coming back this year. Oh, he will definitely come back in my lifetime. And so they're living, you know, with a countdown timer going, and it's a pretty short run. And if you can, for better or for worse... So if you can keep in mind some of the problems that are going to, this, this group of people are going to, going to find themselves in ethically is because they're living thinking they have maybe a year left, for better or for worse. I mean, what, how would you live if you knew 
that in 12 months you'd be gone. You'd be working through a bucket list for better or for worse. And that's what these people are doing. And we'll see that as we get towards the end of both of these books, uh, that, that some of them are doing it for worse and some of, it are, some of them are living faithfully for better. So, again, let me just summarize. When you're reading these books, they, they, are, they are loved they are, uh, by Paul and by God. Okay, loved by God. Second, that they are persecuted and they have to endure suffering. And then finally, that they are living as though Jesus is going to return soon. And how should you then live? Now, again, this is authentic Christianity. This is what it really looks like when we look at the, we're going to read together the first chapter. And I want you to be looking how verses 4 and 5 are um, the working gears of this chapter. That's where... Uh, the action is taking place, and then everything else is going to be defining that action, okay? Just so that you'll know to look for that, okay? What you're going to find in this chapter is the answers to the questions, how does a person become a Christian? Right? How does a person grow as a Christian? And then finally, what does a growing Christian's life look like, all right? We'll look at those in more detail, but let's, let's read the chapters together. Well, I'll start in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know brothers loved by God. We know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply in words but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and the Lord in spite of severe sufferings. There's that persecution. We welcomed you, I'm sorry, you welcomed the message with the joy given to you by the Holy Spirit. And so, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report that what kind of re reception that you gave us. They tell, uh, they tell you how you turned to God from your idols to serve the living and true God. And, and you wait for the Son. There, there's that waiting for him to return. And you wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, to rescue us from the coming wrath. So there's the section. Let's look at, let's look at those big verses again, verses 4 and 5. And the question is, is how does a person become a Christian? How does a person, this is going to help all of us. If, if you're already a Christian, this will help define what, how that happened in your life. And if you're not a Christian, this is what you're supposed to be listening for. Because it says that you responded to the power of the gospel. So, right there, you received the message, the gospel, with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Look at, look at the verse there in verse 4 and 5. It will be up on the screen here. It says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and in deep conviction. See, there's the three kinds of ways describing that, that experience they had with the gospel, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. But I want you to notice, again, this is why we look at the epistles this way, these, the letters this way. Look at the detail of the words there about what's, what, where the action is taking place. 
It says the gospel, they responded to the gospel not as mere words, because the gospel is words, right? They're, preposition, they're propositional truth, right? But, but, but you didn't respond to them as mere words. When the gospel came to you, look how Paul is personifying the word. He's giving this message legs. He's saying the gospel was what came to you. We didn't come to you giving you words, okay? The gospel came to you, and you responded to it as though it were not mere words. What are the words of the gospel, right? I mean, the, word, the mere words are that um, Jesus lived a life we should have lived, perfect life. He died a death we should have died because we didn't live perfectly. And then in his death, he inherited our sins, and in his resurrection, we inherited his righteousness, this great exchange. Those are just the words. And there are people, even in here, that can recite that, but the power of the gospel, doesn't. they just see it as mere words. The power of the gospel don't, doesn't work. He's giving, he's giving like personality to the phrases of the gospel. And here, here's what you need to understand about the gospel. The gospel itself has that power. Uh, Paul, in Romans chapter 1, I mean, right out of the blocks, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it has the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It has the power of God. The gospel has the power. If you, it's not the words. It's the under, it, when the gospel comes to you, right, and you receive it as something other than, than, than just words, as power, it doesn't say it gives you power. It doesn't say it will get you to power. It doesn't say it causes power. Paul says the gospel is the power of God. It is, it is though when you, when you have an experience with the gospel, it'll feel as though at the beginning that you are investigating something. You're looking into the truths, and you're in charge because you're the one doing the analysis, and you're trying to see if it's historically true or if it makes logical sense. But something happens when the power of the gospel enters into this because then you feel as though you're the one being investigated. Look how Tim Keller puts it. He's a pastor in New York City. At, at some point in the process, you begin to realize you're not just investigating, you're being investigated. You're not just investigating something. You have a sense that something is investigating you. It goes from like this message being passive and only words to something so much more and being in control. It is the power. Picture it like a, a biologist in a lab and she's working some kind of virus and she's, she's working the virus, right? She has her sterile clothing on and she has Petri dishes. But the virus gets out and now the virus has her. She doesn't have the virus. She, the virus has her, and now the virus is controlling her. Picture it like a, uh, a child, a young child grabs her father's hand and kind of tugs him over to the escalator. She's showing him where to go, and then she gets near the escalator, and she gets scared, and the father grabs her hand and puts her on the escalator. He's in control. She starts thinking she was the one and then the power of the Father invades it. Here's a, a pretty good example, but it's kind of negative. Um, in uh, Lord of the Rings in the Hobbit series, you know, it's just, a, it's just a ring, right? It's a round thing. It's gold. But it's different. 
if, if you look at the story, it, it has magic, right? It can make you invisible. But the myth of Gyges that's discussed in, it's described in, for example, one of the classic ones is Plato's Republic. And Socrates is talking about this, the power, the myth of Gyges, this invisible ring. And this, it, it's magic. And when, when this person has this ring, he can put it on his finger and become invisible to any time he needs an upper hand. And, and he can get anything he wants. And in the case of that story, he becomes king. And so it, while it looks like J.R. Tolkien took that story uh, about the myth of Gyges and, and took that ring in it, he didn't. He, I mean, he did, but he added something to it, didn't he? He added power. Because in the Lord of the Rings Hobbit series, the, the ring has power, doesn't it? It calls people to the ring. And then when people get the ring, they think, oh, I have this ring. I'll just put it right here. And then they put it on, and it calls all the other evil to its attention. And then it, it calls you to want to find it. And then you say, you have the ring, and then one day the ring says, no, 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 I have you. It, there's a, an old police song that goes something like, uh, ring on your finger, and never mind. But the idea is this. Uh, Christianity is, something, is not something that you take and have. Christianity is something that takes you. It has you. The gospel, you can toy with it, but if, there's, if it's more than mere words, it draws you in, and it takes you. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with the verse 4 where it says, um, before verse 5, obviously, but he says, you were chosen. And so God is initiating all of this ahead of time. In other uh, passages, it'll say that God called you. Um, one that you might know is a sentence that says, uh, we love God because he first loved us. And so there's in the gospel that's more than mere words is initiated by God, and he is calling you out and drawing you in to take over. And, there, and, and in, in, this, in this calling, there's something about it that want, you want more, and it's uncomfortable. And you squirm, and, and it's... Uh, Sometimes infuriating. It might, it, might, it might look like this. You, know, you are married to someone that they're practicing the real thing, authentic Christianity, or you work with someone, or, or your child becomes a real sincere believer. And I'll show you what that looks like in just a few minutes, but you get the idea. And, and, and in the early stages when the gospel was merely words, it's okay, and that's fine that you do this, what, two hours on a Sunday, good for you, pat you on the head, that sort of thing. And, and then you start, start finding out that, you know, all their decisions are being made based on their spiritual life. And you think, well, isn't, that's kind of like, that's a fanatic. I mean, now, now, you know, let's not let that out of its two-hour parameters. And then, and then there's something about their lifestyle that bugs you. It's not because they're being, you know, kind of uh, irritable type people. It's because it's because they're living the real thing. And then they're, they're kind of, the gospel is calling you, tugging you. It's showing up in power. When you start doing the same things you've always done, but you can't enjoy them so much anymore. When, 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 when the trivial used to be entertaining and pacifying, and now no longer, it means there's a calling happening, and the gospel is showing up with more than mere words. And these other Christians in your life, are the real ones around you are, are showing this contrast to you. 
that there's another way to live. There's the power in the gospel. Look, um, it, it's, the power is in, in, in the spiritual dynamic. This is a supernatural event taking place, right? I mean, so something has to be happening in your life. It's inexplicable. If you just look at Paul's life, by the way, right? I mean, do you know what this man is like? There's very few descriptions in the Bible. Let me just give you the Bible description. I'm just telling you he's not a very a strong personality. His, this is the Bible's definition. Not, his personal presence is uh, unimpressive. His speech is contemptible, though his writings are heavy and strong. Okay? So, but here's, here's an extra biblical one. This is one I like a lot. The man is of small stature, is bald and crooked, has crooked legs, is overweight. He has eyebrows that meet in the middle, and his nose is somewhat hooked. In other words, he's hard to look at, and he's not easy to listen to, and yet he has changed the world with the message. Why? Because the message was the gospel, and the gospel has its own power. In the, in the message of the gospel, if there's power and the spirit and there's, con, and there's deep conviction involved, you can feel your soul desire to cry out, command me. You know you're dealing with a king. We're, talk, we're, 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 in, we're entertaining ideas of absolute surrender to the authority of the universe, and you know that. You want to be ruled. That's how you know the power of the gospel is working in you. You start negotiating with the cost of following him. You realize that it, everything is at stake, and you might have to have conversations with people to make make right with them. You might have to even stress or maybe lose some friendships because of the power of the gospel and what it means to have a king rule you. And that's a good sign because you understand the Holy Spirit's work. He's calling. He's choosing. He's loving you first so that you would love him. Are you disturbed by the Christian gospel? You're supposed to be. If it's, if it's cavalier and avant-garde and it's another lesson, it's another message, if you can speak the truths of the gospel and not have your spirit be nervous or joy-filled, then they're mere words. They're, they're mere words. But if something else is stirring, that's the power of the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit. That is the deep conviction and if, if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else, you need to pursue this. You need to shut down all the busyness of your life and the distractions and the things that keep this calling from being heard and stop them and to pursue that call. Listen for his voice. Do what you can to make the words mean more. Stop and look at the things that are trivial in your life and start contemplating those. It's a spiritual event. I really can't put words to it. So it's difficult to explain. But there's nothing more important, absolutely nothing more important. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you respond to the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit and have deep convictions about that. Well, what is it, uh, how does a person grow as a Christian? Again, you know, we're in the last part of the Bible, and the, the, you just kind of follow the sentences as they go. What does it mean to grow as a Christian? Well, the first thing to do is you're supposed to imitate us. You know, that's what happens in this. Imitate other people. Imitate people that are follow, 
farther along in Christ and, and you imitate Christ himself. Look what it says in verse uh, 5b and 6. You know how we lived among, this is Paul talking, and Paul says we is Paul, Timothy, and Titus, uh, and Silas, rather. So he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in spite of the severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given to you by the Holy Spirit. So the people in, in the Bible, there's a term that, or a phrase that makes it look as though when you are a new follower of Jesus Christ, you're like a, a baby. And so what is a baby to do? It looks up to someone older than they are, and you're supposed to emulate them. You're supposed to imitate them. And it says imita you imitated us and Christ. And back then, I don't think they had the Gospels in their hands. This is such an early book. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas are going around and are telling the stories of Jesus. Live like this man lived. Let me tell you a story about Jesus. Let me tell you about the way Jesus taught. Look, you follow me as I follow the Lord. Let's go. And so in the Old Testament, it's in there, but certainly in the New Testament, there's this absolute demand for mentoring, for you to find people to be over you, to lead you through your next stage of life. You do not have to make every mistake all by yourself. And it's called discipleship is the word that the Bible uses, and it's, and it's absolutely woven into almost every single ministry at Grace Covenant Church. Every, I think, I, I, I mean, they just tell me never to use every, so I'm not going to use every. Almost every ministry we have here is an opportunity to, for you to place yourself to be mentored, to find somebody that's older than you that can help you in marriage and family and business and life skills in the context of following Jesus Christ. Our men's ministry, our women's Bible studies, our Celebrate Recovery, our Reengage Marriage Ministry, our youth ministry, our junior high ministry, our children's ministry, every, our adult communities, our midweek Bible studies. Have I worn you down? I hope so. Because if you have a New Year's resolution, if you're into that sort of thing, this is what it ought to be, to find a place to be mentored. To find a place where you can walk into a room and say, can I ask a couple questions about how to live the Christian life? Because I want to imitate someone because the Bible says so. It's called discipleship. We are sincerely believing in, in doing that here. Okay? So how did they grow? How did they grow? They imitated other people. The second way that they grew, how did they, how did they grow? They were examples to other people. Look at the next verse, verse 7. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So they were, you get this? So they were imitating Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and while they were doing that, they were mentoring other people. They were examples to other people. In the Bible, you know, Old Testament certainly talks about mentoring, but in the New Testament, it demands, it commands you to be mentoring someone else. It says you ought to be a role model for someone else. You don't have to have... You know, you don't have to have it all together because then you'd never qualify. But, but you're supposed to be leading someone else along the journey. And at Grace Covenant Church, if we do something quite well, it's this. We do discipleship, and we've structured every ministry at Grace. No, I'm sorry, almost every ministry at Grace so that you could come and plug in and serve to be a mentor. We have the men's ministries and the women's ministries, the Bible studies uh, for women, Right? We have Celebrate Recovery and our marriage ministry re-engage. We have adult communities, midweek Bible studies, the children's ministry, the junior high ministry, the youth ministry. Have I worn you down now? Here's the thing. If you have a, are into New Year's resolutions, here's what I recommend. Take the next step. Get involved at Grace in a way that you can mentor 
some other people. In the children's ministry, you get to mentor young children. Let me tell you, just this is, okay, let's stop for a second. I'm going to just tell you a little trick that I've found in life. When we talk about mentoring and whenever it's advertised, people love to want to be mentored. Hey, I need somebody. I want somebody. Can you assign someone to me? Can you do that? And I found that the return on those uh, inquiries are not as as good as the person that instead of, I want someone to help me, the person that says, you know what, I'm going to go serve in the children's ministry. And that person ends up finding a mentor there. In other words, you know, givers have a way of getting. People that sacrifice and are role models for others are usually the first people to be cared for. And takers, they seem to never get enough. And I, I, this has just been my experience that if you want to be, it's kind of a trick. It's, I don't know if it's judo or what, but it's like if you want to be mentored, would you mentor someone else? There's someone 10 years younger than you or someone in the same life stage as you, but you're just a little bit farther along the road. Why don't you find an opportunity for that? That could be your next step. That's how they grew. That's, that's how they grew. They, they imitated the people that were farther along, and then they served as role models for the people beneath them that were kind of learning the very fundamentals. So what does it look like to be a growing Christian? What does a growing Christian look like? The passage tells us what that looks like as well. It's great. It's easy. It, they're talking about basic uh, attributes of the faith, faith, hope, and love. These are virtues in the Christian faith, and they show up here as well. Look at verse 3. And by the way, look at the, uh, I don't know if it's logic or physics of this. Look at, the, look, at, look at the sequencing here. We continually remember you before God and Father, the work produced by faith, the labor prompted by love, your evidence inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See the cause effect? Because for 20 years, it seems like the American church has gotten this all backwards. Okay, look what's happening. Look, look what's, what's causing the other one? It work was produced by faith. The faith caused the works. We're not trying to get you busy at grace so that you might get faith. We're not trying to get you to do, you know, missional activities so that these other things will happen. No, look what's happening. Look at the logic of it. The, the work was produced by faith. The labor was prompted by love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, and love causes the, these, these labors to be prompted. You don't get loving by doing the labors you love and then you labor. And then finally it says, your endurance was inspired by hope. If you have no hope, you won't endure. The hope, the faith, hope, and love here is caused by the Spirit of God, and then it breaks out everywhere. What does the growing Christian look like? It looks like it's producing things because of the fruit that's being, that's being born by the power of the Spirit. You see that? Another thing that happens besides this fruit breaking out, is that you, um, other people start noticing this. Other people notice. If you, again, you look at the, verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only to Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everybody's finding out about you guys. And why is that? Because a lifestyle change took place. I mean, I'll bet, you know, for many people, their language changes. Maybe it, it's not so salty anymore, but sometimes it's not so filled with gossip or cynicism. Uh, again, values are altered, but word gets out. Everybody's talking about this church in Thessalonica because it's real Christianity. 
Because, how, why is that? Because they responded to the power of the gospel, not merely words. And they grew because they were following leaders and they were being mentors. And then finally, the thing that turned the most heads was they turned from idols. They turned from idols. Verse 9 says, and they themselves, other people reporting on you, and they themselves report what kind of reception that you gave us. And they tell how you turned to God from the idols that you were serving and living for the true, the one true God. So what, you think everybody was on big trash pickup day, they had all the idols out on the curb and said, oh, look, you know, the Wilsons aren't worshiping idols anymore. I don't think that's true. And I, and I, I think, um, well, they, they might have had big trash pickup where they gave out the idols. But I think every, John Calvin said, the heart of man is, a soul mach- is, is an idol machine. It makes idols. And it's like mass producing them. It's always looking for something to worship something in the context of our ego. And when a person turns from their idols to the only living God, they're free. And they're, and they're full of joy. Because when, when you serve your ambitions or your ego or your whatever, whatever your idol would be, right, your, your reputation as a good mother or as a good coworker or or ambitious in your occupation, or health and beauty, or whatever it might be, when, it's, when you might lose it and your emotions start stirring, that's how you know it's an idol. When you're serving that idol when you throw, you know, all kinds of money and energy and emotion into it. What you worry about when you sleep is probably an idol so that you look good or feel good or whatever it might be. And these people turned away from those idols. Those would be idols for us too. They had them carved in wood maybe, but we, we carve them in our own image. And when you leave those to serve God only, then you can do work and, serve, and be a great parent without worry. See, you don't have to be the scared parent that's manipulating and conniving and making sure. You can rest at night. It's not all up to you. Your career is not all up to you. There's, there, there's just a lightness to everything you do because nothing can be taken from you. Because the things that matter to you are Christ. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When you turn from idols, you can rest. And rest, it draws attention. So just in this first chapter, as you can see, it's a wonderful book, right? And we're just going to combine the both books together as we look for them. If they have similar uh, topics to study, we'll study them in, in both books. I would like you to consider reading one, you know, chapter one, you know, every day, at least for five days this week. Kind of get into the rhythm of that. Here's what to look for. What do you look for? How does a person become a Christian? Here's how to apply that, right? That you're called by God. And you don't respond to the gospel with, as though they're merely words, but with power, with power in the Holy Spirit and with deep convictions. If you have not had that experience, that is your assignment for today. Pursue that. Pursue that. How does a person grow? This could be an assignment. How does a person grow? You imitate someone over you. You role model someone underneath you. And finally, what does it look like? It looks like faith, hope, and love breaking out in all kinds of activities, but those are breaking out. It's not the other way around, right? Other people are talking about it, and you're free from idols. 
That's what our journey has for us, what authentic Christianity looks like. I think one of the reasons we looked at doing this book together is because if I think, if I was thinking if, if, if Paul were to write Grace Covenant, a, a letter, it would look a lot like this letter. Let's learn together about how to live the authentic Christian life, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, we, um, we'd ask that you'd help us take the next step that we need to, that you would help us, you know, practice what it means to be a follower of you uh, with deep convictions. Let the power of the gospel resonate within us. Let it stir our hearts. Let, us, let it make us restless inside and joy-filled at both, both at the same time. Lord, be glorified by our life. Let us, let us feel the weight of, 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 the, of the beauty of your kingship over our soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.